Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 6 and starting in verse 14. Uh, you'll see on your outline the legacy of John the Baptist. If you have your half sheet of paper, go ahead and pull that out. You know, at times we come to fun Father's Day sermons and we find ourselves in Mark chapter 6, verse 14, at the death and beheading of John the Baptist. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Um, so it should be a good time. Um, we're going to find ourselves in the death of John the Baptist, the beheading of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6, verse 14 through 29. And so we're going to just continue plodding through and finding uh, that the Lord has called us to uh, take away from this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me and let's read along Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 14, and we'll go through verse 29. Uh, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of his wife, Herodias. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. Herod had kept him safe. But when he heard it, he was great. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard John gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to this girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it up to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because he did not, uh, because of his oath and his guests did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring him John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and the, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. Lord, we ask right now for your help and guidance as we open your word, as we, as we feast on it. Would it nourish our souls so that we would leave this place as we always do with the intent of being different than when we came in? Would your word refine us? Would it shape us? Would it mold us more and more into your image and not an image that is contrary to your word. So Lord, help us this morning. We present our hearts open, malleable, and ready. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that you see is in John the Baptist, we see four central things from this text. But in, the John, in John the Baptist, we see first a consistency in pointing to Jesus, a consistency in pointing people to Jesus. As you go back to John chapter one, you see that the people were coming out to meet with John. John had, had began his ministry and people are coming out to see this guy who's wearing camel belts and leather belts and camel skin. He's eating locusts and he's sharing this good message. People are flocking out to see John, trying to understand what new prophecy or what new prophet this guy is teaching. And so they're just flocking out to the desert to meet and see this John. And what is John doing time in and time out? 
You see in John chapter 1, 19 through 29, that when the people are coming to John, John sees Jesus. And does John say, hey, guess what? I got this great ministry. I got things going on. Y'all follow me. Or what does he do? He says, there he is. There's Jesus. There's the guy I've been talking about whose sandals are, I am not even worthy to untie. There's the guy who's going to come after me, who's going to baptize you in a much mightier way. There's the guy. John was consistent time in and time out, pointing people to Jesus. There in prison, as John is speaking out against Herod, he is constantly pointing people squarely towards Jesus. Over and over again, as you look at the text, John the Baptist, in John the Baptist, his legacy is consistently pointing people to Jesus. Now, John could point people to Jesus because John himself was pointed to Jesus. John's very purpose on this planet was to prepare the way for Jesus. His heart was ready. His very motivation was pointing people to Jesus. Can I, can I share with you this morning, if your desire is very right and in order, if you would hope to leave here today and say, yes, I want to point people to Jesus, can I tell you today, before you can point people to Jesus, you have to be pointed to Jesus. Your heart has to be focused, resolute on saying, Lord, I am ready. I am willing wherever you call me to go. I want my life to represent and point people to Jesus. And so you have to be ready, willing for your heart to be ready to go with Jesus. Over these past uh, several years or so, I guess, I haven't, I haven't flown on a plane recently. I don't know if y'all have, but there's always my favorite portion of the getting on and getting ready to go where the, uh, the flight attendants will come on and they'll begin to walk you through the process of there's an emergency. And so there's one part in which no one listens to this section is when if there's an emergency and then everybody shuts down. It's like, this is the time you need to listen and everybody shuts down, right? But there's a point that I always thought would be so cool they say, when the, if the oxygen mask falls from the, from the uh, cabin, just prepare to put it on yourself and then help the person next to you. And I always thought that would be so cool to be in a plane and see the, 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 the air thing come down. And then the older I've gotten, I recognize that would not be such a cool endeavor to see the oxygen mask lift. But there's always that point that I always felt was a little bit odd, right? The oxygen comes down and what are you supposed to do? Fix it to yourself first before assisting those around you. And I always thought when, you know, flying with my dad or mom to think, hey, mom, dad, if, if this thing's going down, I want you to help me get my oxygen on first, right? Like, you got to help me out. But there's a reason why you put on your oxygen first so that you don't fall out from lack of oxygen because you don't get messed up and then become disoriented and not be able to help those around you. So first and foremost, you slide on your oxygen mask and get prepared. And friends, can I tell you, if your desire, if your goal is to point people to Jesus, you yourself have got to be pointed towards Jesus. Can I tell you, pastoring and preaching at times, I come to this word and I think this will be a good point for Sunday morning. I mean, this will be, you know, you, you see they all have C's, right? So, you know, we'll get there in a minute. But there's a time where you have all your points start with the same letter and you think this is good, right? If, they, these, if our church could just get and grab a hold of this, this will be so good. And at that point, I always have to stop and say, Mark, you need this. This is for you. This is good for your heart, for your soul. Can't expect other people to get what I have not yet received, and so often for each of us, we can read the word and say, man, if my wife could just get this text, if she would just, if she would just get it, we would be all right. You can come back and look at your kids and say, if they would just get March's scripture memory, memory verse, be kind to one another. If they would just get it, we'd be all right. And we spend so much of our energy wanting other people to take hold of the word that we ourselves sometimes neglect to nourish and feast and point our own hearts first and foremost directly and squarely at the cross of Christ. 
Friends, in John the Baptist, you see a man who understood exactly what his purpose and his mission was, and it was to point people to Jesus. And so us as believers, our goal is to be a small representation of Christ, and so we've got to be pointed towards Jesus. We've got to read and feast and study and say, Lord, how does this change my heart? It's important for me to think how I can give this and pass this on to other people, but how does it first and foremost hit my heart? How have I been changed from this text? How have I been transformed from the inside out from this text? And then once we have been nourished by it, we can take people with us. And so you see, first and foremost, John the Baptist consistently in his ministry understood that his role and his purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord, to point people to Jesus, to say, there he is, there he is. And so secondly, you see John consistent in pointing people to Jesus, but second, courage in proclaiming truth. You see the situation that we're in that Herod has taken his brother's wife, uh, obviously a no-no here, and so Herod has uh, enticed Herodias to uh, divorce his, her husband and marry Herod, and so John is preaching against the wickedness of the culture around him, and it's landed him in some hot water. More than that, it's landed him in prison, and it's landed his head on a platter. John took courage in proclaiming truth even to the ruler of the land. Can I, can I tell us that As we follow Jesus, as we boldly proclaim truth, it will take courage to say the words, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will take courage for us to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile world. It'll take courage for us to, with empathy, with love, with grace, share the good news message of Jesus to a lost world. And so, friends, you see, with John, he has courage in presenting truth. We see Paul, as he goes out on the mission field, with courage, understanding the implications that come alongside proclaiming truth to people. So often, I I may think these words, that it would just be easier not to bring it up. It would be easier for John just to maybe overlook or maybe not have to bring it up or maybe just to skip over it or not have to talk about it. It would be easier not to have to share that truth, not to have to talk about that or not to bring that up. It would be far easier to simply not talk about it. But Jesus has called us with love and empathy, with listening ears, with courage to go out and not live isolated from the culture around us, but live with a transformed heart and a transformed mind and a transformed tongue and transformed ears in a world that is around us. But see, take the courage in proclaiming truth with number three, which is equally a value, and that's a commitment to righteousness. John's proclamation of truth is clearly linked to his commitment to righteousness. As John is speaking truth, to Herod. It says in verse 19 and 20 that Herodias has, in the NIV, it says that she is nursing a grudge against him. Herodias understands that the only way for her marriage to be uh, weighted in value is for John the Baptist to be dead. That John the Baptist is speaking so against this that it's having Herod's ear, and she understands the only way it's going to be seen as right is if John the Baptist is Dead, And so she is nursing this grudge against him. But look what it says in verse 20. Herodias wanted to put him to death, but Herod feared John 
knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, he kept him safe. When Herod heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. See, in the midst of Herod's court, I mean, understand even in this, we understand from other texts what's going on in Herod's world that he is a twisted and depraved man. But even in this text, we see that Herod has his daughter, his stepdaughter come in and dance a lewd dance in the midst of his own company, but also in the company of his advisors and his leaders. His stepdaughter come in and perform such provocative nature that Herod would say, I am pleased by this and I'm going to give you up to half of my land. We see the depravity that's inherited in this, but look at Herod and then look at John the Baptist. I mean, there's a stark difference here between Herod and John the Baptist, is there not? You have a man who's living in righteousness, seeking righteousness, and another man who is seeking after anything the world can provide, and it provides a stark difference. This text is obviously not talking about Father's Day. Can I tell you, when I look at this and I think about both those two words, courage and proclaiming truth and commitment to righteousness and how well that they are linked together, that John is not simply out saying, you guys get it all together. Y'all need to stop doing what you're doing, but living this life that is completely contrary to what he's saying. One of the greatest gifts that my father, David Bethay, gave me was his, he lived in the public square as he has taught school for his 42nd year. When I witnessed him in the in grocery stores, as I witnessed him as we would go out to eat, treating people with love and dignity and respect, the way that he would treat and handle other people when we were outside our home, the way that he taught and te- taught people inside the church was the exact same man that I came home to every single night. A man who loved God's word, who would sit up and study and pray with his wife, who loved his wife well, who was taken by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who both proclaimed the good news of Jesus, but lived it out. It's the greatest gift my father could have ever given me was a life well lived right before my eyes. To see what it looked like to partner courage in living in the world, but also a commitment to purity and holiness and loving his wife and his kids well, loving my kids and his grandkids well, showing and demonstrating Jesus to them. And he was not a perfect man, but he sought after the kingdom of God in his marriage, in his home, with us studying his word, praying for us as I walk through hardships to see him say, I am praying for you, shedding tears on my behalf. See, in our fathers, we want to see the courage to stand up and live and speak boldly, but partnering that with a commitment towards righteousness and holiness. And friends, as we seek after God's kingdom, as we live accordingly to God's word, then we will live in stark contrast with empathy and love. The fruit of the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will come forth from us. And we will live differently than what the world sees Friends, in John the Baptist, you see a man who is consistent, consistent in his life, daily pointing to Jesus, courage and proclaiming truth, whether it was to the king, to a ruler, or to others, courage and proclaiming truth, but partnering with it, with a commitment to righteousness. And lastly, number four, you see his connection to Jesus's future. John the Baptist, you see a man who is constantly preparing the way of the Lord. 
And even here in his death, we see that one who would be greater would come and die. John the Baptist, a righteous, not a perfect, but a righteous man, would be wrongly killed, placed in a tomb. But there would be a man coming who would be falsely accused, who would be murdered on a cross, who would be laid in the tomb, but would rise on the third day to take your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And so even in his death, we see John pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, which would lead us to this last key question. What does your life point to? It's a very sobering question. What does your life point towards? What does your life demonstrate? What does your life point to? John the Baptist consistently pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. My time in ministry, I've had the privilege to sit down with families as they have talked about their loved one before they lay them to rest. One of my absolute favorite questions to ask is, when you think of your dad, when you think of your mom, when you think of your grandparent, when you think of your loved one, what do you think of? There's always a range of answers, but what always stirs my soul is when they say, my father, my mom, whoever it was, they just loved Jesus. They radiated Jesus. They helped me see Jesus. They pointed me to Jesus. And friends, that's not something that just happens overnight. You don't flip a switch and follow and just start pointing people to Jesus. It's a consistent following of Jesus day in and day out, trusting in his word, nourishing on the word, being courageous in this world and living your life in a way that is different by being committed to righteousness and holiness. So I'll ask you, what does your life point to? Does it point to sport teams? Does it point to business and your ascension down a corporate ladder? Does it point to a range of things that you love in your household? Or does your life clearly, consistently point people to the throne of Jesus? And I tell you, we have to go back and see that the only way that it can do that is if you daily point yourself to Jesus and daily commit your life to following him. Can we pray together? Dear Lord, thank you. Or in these few moments, I just want to pause as we come to the end of this sermon. We've heard a lot today. We've seen babies dedicated back to you. We've seen parents step up and say, we, are gonna, we, we desire to raise our kids in your admonishment and your word and your teaching. We've seen your word sung out and lived out. And Lord, now we come to the time and moment in which it's our our time and our opportunity to respond to all that we've seen and experienced this day. Lord, we don't want to rush past this. We don't want to just get past this moment to get out the door. Lord, we, we want to allow your spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, we confess that we need you, that we cannot do it on our own. Lord, we desire to leave a legacy of faith and faithfulness to the next generations, and it starts with us daily submitting our hearts and our lives to you. So I pray our hearts would be just as open as they can be, malleable, ready to follow and trust. It's in your name we pray right now. Amen.